Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon. We are the twice-weekly podcast dedicated to celebrating the radio show turned podcast, Too Beautiful to Live. With our new schedule, this particular Friday show is our Phyllis flashback edition for April, as it is April 1st, if you're getting this hot off the pod press. Phyllis will have a couple clips from the past, and later we're going to play a piece of radio journalism Phyllis did that uh, you will never forget. So stay with us through that, please. Uh, my name is Mike Frizzell, also known as The Jail Dude, and I'm in Austin for a few more weeks before I move to Kyle, Texas. And we've got a little daytime taping today, and I can't do it by myself, so I have fellow Texan Meredith all the way Mayhan on the line from Dallas to help out. Hello, Meredith. Hey, Mike. I'm determined to make that happen. I know it got erased mm-hmm. twice already, yeah. so <laughs> I'll, I'll put in Jinx us by trying to use it again. <laughs> Uh, and of course, joining us from the Emerald City, Seattle, Washington, is fan favorite. I've written that with PHs both on, on the sheet here. Phyllis Fletcher. Hello, P. Hey, guys. I'm excited to be here. This is great. This is uh, this is going to be a really fun one. I've been looking forward um, to this since uh, Christy announced the new schedule. Uh, you have a, Phyllis is going to have a couple clips for us, as I mentioned. And then, uh, obviously, uh, we're going to... While I have Phyllis, I, this happened last time. While I have you, <laughs> yeah. while we have you, yes, I'm going to, you know, of course, get more in depth with Phyllis. Phil. Everyone loves Phyllis, but I think they're going to love her more when they know her more because we've gotten to know her really well in some of these chats and in some of our side um, conversations. And I want to bring more Phyllis into the light. <laughs> uh, at the end, we'll tell you how to get involved, including. Um, including our our new voicemail jingle and there'll be a little bit of housekeeping and there's a special surprise in housekeeping tonight uh, <laughs> too. So Phyllis Mike. April's yeah. <laughs> have you, have you been through every April now you all know, the way back through radio days? I haven't. I still have not heard April 08 or 09 because I'm still, um, so I'm working my way through the radio shows now, the radio mm-hmm. episodes of TBTL, and I'm only in February 2008. Okay. And okay. that is um, largely because moving through them is a little more cumbersome. Yes. And so um, I just have to take more time scooting from episode to episode, especially if I stop and do something else. So I'm only in February 2008. I haven't gotten to April. 2008 or 2009. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the first clip that you brought us, uh, which year was, was that? This is, this is uh, what you called the Royal ring. Clip. Yes. <laughs> Let me consult my run sheet here. Uh, uh, I believe it's 2010. Does that sound tw- right? 2010. So that was of course about the time when, uh, Prince William had proposed to Kate Middleton. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and there was much marketing to were, U.S. women during that time, American women, because we are obsessed with the royals, especially, um, you know, in general, um, mm-hmm. especially American women our age, because Princess Diana got married when we were little kids. And mm-hmm. our mothers and grandmothers, in my case, my grandmother, let us stay up until, you know, or either let us stay up or get up early depending Mm -hmm. what time zone. So until whatever it was, three, four in the morning or something to see it live on television. And, um, 
it's the kind of thing that sticks with you, you know, um, and it was such a fairy tale thing that then fell apart when we were in our twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to see that kind of fantasy be born again, especially through the use of the same ring, um, was, was really exciting. And what's more fairy tale than that. So I could see why Jen was so excited about this. <laughs> talking about this this royal ring that Abby wants one of those rings yeah yeah exactly what's what meredith what's your dog's name again that was not oh, mine that was oh. that was my dog that oh, was abby Mike. oh abby. yeah <laughs> yep. abby wants a ring so abby knows it's just um <laughs> you know i just i loved the um the excitement about this royal ring well what's interesting to me is i'm i'm always looking for ways that uh advertising, you know, exploits people and exploits situations. And, yes. and this is just one of those really crass <laughs> yeah. uh, taking advantage of people. Because, you know, I, I think, wasn't it right around 2010, like Downton Abbey started and that the whole basis of Downton Abbey is um, the, the Lord Grantham marries an American woman. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, fantasy wrapped up in stuff like that. So I guess we'll, we'll just play the clip now. I have a, a lot of things to say. I know y'all do too. So here we go. On the 16th yeah. of November, 2010, His Royal Highness Prince William, heir to the throne of England and eldest son of Prince Charles and the late Diana, Princess of Wales, announced his engagement to Catherine Elizabeth Middleton. Kate's story of an everyday girl meeting her prince and one day becoming the Queen of England is a fairy tale come true. The ring betrothed to Kate Middleton is the same ring Prince William's mother Diana received on her engagement. Now, you, you said you've been seeing this commercial like crazy in Fort Wayne? Oh, it's playing on all the channels, like not just on um, QVC type channels. It's on constantly, like during Daily Show and Jimmy Kimmel. And the more I watch it, the more I'm obsessed with it. And I have decided that I am going to buy it. <laughs> but but Jen, a royal <laughs> ring, that sounds expensive. And it is one of the only mementos that the prince chose to keep following his mother's passing. Today it rests on the hand of his bride-to-be, Kate Middleton. In celebration of this historic event, the Sterlington Collection is making available... Ooh, the Sterlington Collection. Yep, it that just gets better and better. classy. ...available a limited edition replica of this timeless heirloom. The beautiful simulated salon sapphire... Rep- simulated? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's oval-faceted faux salon simulated. I don't even presents know what the original quality of the centerpiece and is surrounded. Well, obviously, Jen, that preserves the original quality of the centerpiece. <laughs> no doy. Surrounded by scintillating, brilliant cut, simulated diamonds, prongs set in silver plate. We've left no stone unsimulated <laughs> on this royal ring. Its style, luster, color, and cut are unsurpassed. The- Except by <laughs> almost every piece of jewelry. <laughs> That's ever been cre- created. I mean, for all that simulation, though, I mean, really, Jen, this must be a very expensive item. The original is considered by experts to be one of the most coveted pieces of jewelry in the world. Now it's your chance to share in the most anticipated wedding of the century. Oh, wait, they are, they're selling these rings? Yes. This you is my can chance. Have one. I just thought it was kind of a, like a public service announcement, just letting people know that this amazing ring exists. Like, 
No, oh, commoners can have one. What? For a limited time, the Sterlington Collection is making available this timeless collector's masterpiece. The original price was to be set at $39.90, but today it can be yours for just $19.90. Uh, is that from the Sterlington yeah. Collection? Hey, um... $19.90. That, this is an amazing silverware set. Is this Sterlington silver? <laughs> Each well, ring it's a little is accompanied by Sterling's. a certificate of authenticity and comes complete with a hinged decorative velveteen box. Due to overwhelming demand, we are only able to process one order per household. Let me ask you this, Flash. Is that completely a gimmick? Do you think – I've always wondered with these kinds of things, when they put a sort of limit on how many of them you can buy, I've always really wanted to call and just say, I'll take 100. <laughs> I know. You know, to just see if like, if like a British guy is like – Sorry, governor. <laughs> Limits one. This is from the Sterlington collection. Uh, that accent really kind of moved across the former British Empire all the way to Australia for at certain points. I, what, what really sold me, honestly, was the certificate of authenticity mm-hmm. because I can't figure out what they're certifying. The, the box isn't even velvet. It's velveteen. I don't even know what that means. Uh, I would say that's the Sterlington. Uh, they just keep adding <laughs> syllables at the end. You know, yesterday I think I said that – what was that word? Hesitancy. Hesitancy. I just keep adding yeah. syllables. The Sterlington people just keep adding – Velveteen box. <laughs> Velveteen. Um, what do you think is going to be on that certificate of authenticity? Because they already said that the emerald isn't real. They already said the diamonds aren't real. And they already said the silver isn't real. And they said the box isn't real. <laughs> what is authentic? Um, like I'm, I'm, it's worth it to me to pay nineteen and ninety just <laughs> to get my hands on that certificate. I am. Uh, I'm going to the website now. On the sixteenth of November, oh, two thousand and ten, His Royal Highness. By Prince the way, William. it really sounds like you're about to go on a quest, and <laughs> you may or may not end up fighting orcs. Heir to the throne of England, an eldest son of Prince. Does this uh, ring uh, make you invisible? Well, I do feel like there's something about if I came on stage in Chicago wearing that ring, I would feel even more amazing in that moment. Like it would give me confidence that maybe I I don't have right now for Mm -hmm. the maybe. I mean, I have some confidence for um, Perfect Strangers, but Family Matters makes me nervous. Right. Yeah, that's um, that's that's not a bad plan, actually, because it's always in as much as we do this show uh, as like a little imaginary radio broadcast. That's one thing. But then when we get on the stage in front of all those people like we'll be doing in Chicago, May 6th and 7th. It is nerve-wracking, and maybe you need the confidence, Jen, that one can only feel when uh, wearing 3.0 carats of oval-cut faceted faux Ceylon sapphire uh, combined with 14 uh, diamond times 4 cubic zirconium, uh, 1.26 total weight carats, polished and fine Sterlington silver plate, (laughs) which you earlier that day pulled out of a velveteen box. Uh I feel like that's... To me, now that I've seen the commercial about mm-hmm. 17 times, mm-hmm. it finally got me, and I thought, that's what I need to polish off my Chicago outfit, and I think I should buy it. I'll oh, bring the certificate to show it off at the well, show. Well, maybe we can scan it and put it up on the um, put yeah. it up on the screen projector at the shows. That would be great. I would say order now because, uh, first of all, there's obviously going to be a tremendous amount of interest in this gen. As you heard the British guy say, this is considered, the original is considered one of the most desired pieces of jewelry in the world. Right, and I would totally buy that one for nineteen and ninety. Yes. 
you wouldn't have paid thirty four and thirty for it, <laughs> or whatever it was before. Um, but and and also I, I clearly I want one as well, Jen. I mean, you know, Sean would mm-hmm. love one, but um, I can't order more than one. Nope, they're they're limited to one per order. So if you could just respect that, and don't call <laughs> sure. back in, don't don't call back in with like a fake <laughs> accent either. No, hello. No, you're right. This is Jess <laughs> Anders. That's my impression of you doing an impression of someone else, so that you could buy more than one Sterlington ring. No, I I agree. I want to make sure that everyone who wants one gets one, so I don't want to be greedy about it. Thank you. I really I appreciate you um, demonstrating restraint. Do y'all think anything else is in the Sterlington collection, or is this the only piece? Um, I think that the spread of um, rashes through jewelry might be in the Sterling yeah. collection. <laughs> uh, not to not to libel or slander them in any way. That is a joke. <laughs> but I'm just saying, yeah. like, the, there can be um, a lot of trubs when you yeah. um, order jewelry that's available at the price of nineteen dollars ninety. <laughs> Um, but I think, yes. I think I've firsthand experience. Oh no, what I, happened? Oh, when I was really little and got, I wanted my ears pierced so, so bad. Mm-hmm. And so my mom took me to Claire's in the mall or something oh. like that. And I had them done and I had the worst rash and I, the, the earrings were opal, which is really pretty. Yeah. It was a nice little stone, but it must've been a super cheap Sterlington silver backing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so no. just my earlobes both got really inflamed. And I thought for years that I was allergic to opal, which isn't oh. a thing. Oh no. Oh dear. Yeah. Um and then didn't Jen give this away at the Chicago show? Did that there, happen? There was some resolution to it. Yeah. She did she did something with it. I did they talk about it on the air, like what it looked like, what it felt like? Oh, I, just, yeah. I don't remember pictures. I mean, I think it does look exactly like Diana and Kate's ring. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole, you know, so it's got the big, um, you know, faux sapphire um, surrounded by simulated. Faux, yeah, simulated <laughs> with, uh, with, you know, a little simulated, uh, what simulated diamondells. They're probably not even real diamondells. <laughs> I've never so, even heard that term before. Oh, that really? tells you how... Oh, I'm not into jewelry, but they're diamond even, It's not even cubic zirconium. It's not even a stone. It's not real at all. Oh, it's an illusion. Yeah. Just a little, yeah, a little simulated little, you know, plastics or whatever. It probably weighs room. about 0.0 pounds. Right. <laughs> it makes a weird noise when you drop it. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite throwaway line from this was when Luke says, we've left no stone unsimulated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. That was great. Really? What's remarkable about this commercial is it's done with so much confidence. Oh yeah, the language, every bit of language is telling you it's terrible. Yes, but it's it's said with so much confidence, and the reason this stuff is one of the reasons this stuff is interesting to me is uh, my my first wife she uh, wrote copy for QVC, so when we would watch stuff like this or hear stuff like this, I mean her brain would just be spinning around and, and, Oh, you could have done this. You could have done that. <laughs> you know, you could have really sold it better than that. And 
this is a very this is a flawless piece of advertising. Oh as yeah, far as I'm concerned. they use several interesting tactics. Like one one of them being they told you they were going to charge you thirty nine dollars right. ninety. Yes, but they're willing to part with these precious things for nineteen dollars ninety, and the overwhelming demand part. <laughs> yes, like you right. can only buy one. So this is creating. I think this is just artificial <laughs> scarcity, right? Yes. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you know that that might be a, a technique for you to think about applying when we get to our segment in the show about the archiving project. So just keep mm. that in mind. <laughs> I'll put on my British accent as well. Right. What if you were only allowed to archive one week? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you you got the hang of this Tom Sawyer thing. Oh yeah. Phyllis. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, the one order per household, but it makes it like, <laughs> can you imagine some people who just totally buy into this? They, oh, they've yeah. got to go get a PO box. They got to talk to their neighbors. Can I have one sent over to your place? <laughs> yeah. I better do this right now. <laughs> they managed to sweet talk the person on the phone into sending them a couple. Oh That's yeah. Amazing. You know, those conversations yeah. happen, but I always wonder what's the level of, um, What's the level of inclusiveness with the, with the advertising of the people that are on the phone? Have mm. they heard this ad? Oh, I'm mm -hmm. sure it's just a warehouse where they sell whatever. Right. <laughs> so you get on the phone and, you know, could I get, could I get two of them? You know, oh, of course. Yeah. Can I get three? Sure, whatever. Yeah. How many do you want? I mean, <laughs> yeah. just tell me how many you want and I'll get, send you that many. Why do you keep asking me if yeah. I can have another? <laughs> yeah. See, now I want Douglas Copeland to write a dystopic novel about the people on the phone. Like, the um <laughs> the people the, who have to answer the phone. Oh, yeah. I'm always fascinated yeah. with with the the level that they're let into anything. Oh yeah, you know because if you really wanted to run a great yeah. scam, get some great phone people, dude. And they're out there, big time. Yeah, that that ooh, nice secondary gig. <laughs> yeah, you know that'd be good to take those calls between like you know three and six in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and just tell people, well, I'm not supposed to do this, right? But. <laughs> For you. For you. Yeah. I could, you sound like I mean, a special person. The second one is going to be thirty nine ninety. That's that's you know that sucks, but you know you will get a second one. Oh, that's evil! Oh my god! <laughs> All right, so uh, there's an, another clip. This this is a traditional April clip because it's an April Fool's clip. Mm -hmm. It was a prank um, played by Genevieve on Andrew and there's a there's a ton to say on this. I'm just gonna play the clip and then we'll get into it. So you're asking about my day when I was up late last night watching that game for late for me. I'm bleary eyed this morning. I wake up and I'm taking a shower in the um I don't know if this ever happened to you before. Uh I could not get the soap to lather. Like we use the same soap all the time. As a matter of fact, it's zest, and I'm I'm a new I'm on this new zest kick. I love the smell of zest. You I like being zestfully clean. I love being zestfully clean. I'm not even joking. Like I I don't think I used zest for a long time, and I recently I've been switching to zest, and I love like I, I smell my beard throughout the morning because it, it smells so good. Yeah, yeah. I have gangrene. You guys have that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that I was like you. Commercials. And so that was like me. The only problem is I'm using the soap and it's like I'm rubbing it on my arm and it's just not lathering at all. Okay. And then I start like scraping at it with my nails. I'm like, what the heck? Okay. And I start scraping like on the underside of it and I kind of clear an area off. And I'm like, can I get this to lather? And then, yeah, that lathers for a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, I broke through. It must have just been a film. And I thought maybe what happened was maybe the, the, the it was the bar of soap that had been sitting on the sink, I think, at one point. Yeah. Kind of unused. And I thought, oh, maybe Genevieve had... Um, uh, use hairspray or something and it fell on the soap and it created a coating or whatever. So I'm like, okay, problem solved. But then I like to use this more. I'm like, no, it was only temporary solved for like two seconds. I cannot get it to lather. I'm scraping at it. I'm scraping at it. And I'm also just really groggy. You know, I'm not really thinking about it much. I'm just like, but I did think enough to be like, I've been, you know, I take showers all the time. I've never had this particular problem. That is really weird. That I've had a lot years, of shower-based problems, but this I is not one of them. You know that I love showering. I shower two times a day, if possible, three times on special occasions. <laughs> three um, times on Sunday. I'm not fully clean. Yeah, yeah, I'm not fully clean unless I'm obsessively, uh, <laughs> uh, zestfully clean. Um, anyway, so then, and I even think to my sec to myself for a second. I'm just like, does Genevieve know about this? And then I'm like, I. It's kind of weird. Like, I, I, I'm not articulating these thoughts at the time, but, like, looking back and I'm thinking about the thoughts that went through my head, I remember even kind of thinking, like, well, you know, because I'm about to say goodbye to Genevieve. You know, Genevieve's always asleep when I leave, so I just kind of, you know, quietly kind of wake her and say goodbye to her every morning. And I was even thinking, like, boy, when I say goodbye to her, I should mention something. I was like, you know, don't. Like, that's just stupid. And also there's something about me, like, I think sometimes when you're in couples for a long time and something doesn't go right, sometimes we have this instinct just to be like, what has Genevieve done? You know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. something. Like, I think we all have that to a little degree. And I really wasn't thinking that, but I did kind of think, oh, I wonder if it's the hairspray or something. Wait a second. So, so, so I'm already placing work, blame. You just didn't bathe, really? You just didn't get... I just worked up as much of a lather as I could, but I'm scraping my nails <laughs> across the soap to kind of get to the place where it's lathering. And it kind of lathered, but it wasn't that great. I was like, eh. Anyway, then I'm going to say goodbye to Genevieve. I'm like, good night. And I see that she's still she's up a little bit. And so I'm just like, hey, you know, there's something weird with the, with the soap. And I don't know if she snorted. I don't know what, but like I almost... I knew instinctively the moment the words came out of my mouth that she knew about this. And she was just like, April Fool's. What? She's like, she's like I covered it in nail polish and clear nail polish. And I was like, and first of all, she didn't get any more sleep that morning because I started beating her up on the bed. <laughs> I was just like, what? I don't want to know about your sex life. <laughs> yeah, I know. That sounded really dirty. But I was like, what did you do? And here is why, because yesterday we closed the show by me saying how much I hate um, April Fool's Day. Because April Fool's Day, as, as I think you really nailed yesterday it's just like it's like st patrick's day for jokes it's like when all the bubble gummers go out people who don't usually drink are drinking on st patrick's day it's the time when people who aren't usually funny think that they're they're funny on april fool's day just by making up lies like right. oh did you right. hear the like to use another one of your examples you hear the bridge collapsed no really is everybody okay oh i'm just kidding no right. that's not funny dude that's not humor and like that's not and just how all of a sudden all news organizations now in the age of the internet have to get on board and just publish right. fake fucking stories like drives me crazy well, like that wonderful but, thing we heard at the top of the show of Ted Cruz, right. the Republican senator, claiming that he had a Winston Churchill tattoo, but being so bad at even letting it like lie for a minute that he like the second he showed them, he said, I think if you uh, look towards the calendar, you'll realize there's a reason for my so bad. Uh, anyway, so so you, yesterday we both were kind of taking a pretty big shit on, right. on April Fool's as the, the day then, of April Fool's Day. 
And so what happened to me today with this soap situation, this April Fool's prank that was played on me as an actual prank, <laughs> it, first of all, it, 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 I have a lot of thoughts about this. I'm going to tick through them really quickly, okay? okay? I, um, maybe it's only two. I'm not sure. It's been a long That's day. That's a lot uh, But the, 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 <laughs> the first point for me um, is that, yes, I think I hate April Fool's Day because I hate April Fool's Day and what it has become, especially mm. in this internet era. And a big part of, I believe, the internet now is just like people lying to each other and then being like, oh, isn't that funny? And like even the stuff that Kimmel's doing, I think you and I part on that a little bit. I think it's like screw him. Just like said he has tons of resources to set up elaborate pranks and just like lie to us all and then say, oh, I got you. I was lying. I just hate that kind of shit. And so I don't like April Fool's Day. Having said that, the original April Fool's Day was playing pranks on somebody in some sort uh-huh. of way and I kind of like it's like being the victim of this actual like a harmless prank that wasn't just a stupid lie but actually it was funny when I found out that I was yeah. like kind of the the target of this and also and I guess my only other thought about it is like good on effing Genevieve like yeah. this might have gotten old if Genevieve and I had been doing this every year in some way and you're kind of looking for it or something like that Genevieve and I are not pranksters uh-huh. she played the best long con ever which right. was she let me let my guard she let down you for think that she 13 loved you. years 13 years <laughs> she might have had this idea and she's just like let it lie let it lie in year 13 he'll never even think that this could be an April Fool's Day joke because um, I've never done an April Fool's Day joke. So just like out of 13 years, suddenly it's like, oh, suddenly we as a couple celebrate April Fool's Day. I just thought it was That's like actually, really well done on You her know part. what's really, what's what I think is also behind that is that it's a it's in a weird way, even though it's a prank, it's the thoughtfulness. This sounds like something, yeah. no joke, this sounds like something I'm going to get incredibly uh, stereotypical with my description of, of, of how genders behave. So... Watch out. No, but you know, I'm it, like, um, this sounds like a thing. That, girls drive like this. This sounds like a thing Guys that girls like that this. I've, you know, dated uh, in my life or been in relationships with have said to me, but it's like thoughtfulness goes a long way. And the idea that one person in the relationship, um, I'm saying it's a thing I think girls tend to notice maybe more than guys sometimes, but it's a thing where like, if one person in the relationship is doing something that involved them stopping their normal life and doing something for the other person, it's a nice feeling to think, oh, they were thinking about me for that period of time because they wanted to make my life better. Or in this case, because they wanted to frustrate me in the shower at five in the morning. But it's still somehow. And and you know what? The fact that she didn't just buy it wouldn't have worked if she just bought a fake soap because you would have been like, that's not the soap. That's not the soap that gets me zestfully clean. So the idea right. that she was sitting there with that stupid nail polish brush, brushing over the entirety of this bar of soap at who knows when, you know, some point last night, right? Like that's a, it's, it's almost as if it was a It must have been thing. before that because I was home alone last night. She went out last night. I was, so she did it at some, like, I don't know when she did it. It, it, it. She, I mean, she must have had it like planned to a certain degree. Right. That's amazing. And you're right. It's like the fact that like you guys aren't pranksters, the fact that like, that, that, that you don't wake up every April 1st and start just like looking for like, where is it? Yeah. And, you know what? You've pointed out a great distinction. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever thought about this distinction, but like April Fools, as far as pranks go, as far as just, and, and pranks, you know, not an elaborate trying to trick someone into thinking they won the lottery or whatever it is, but like a prank, just a good old fashioned 
thing that's just kind of messing with you. That's a, that's a today um, here in beautiful Port Townsend, Washington. I was actually I had lunch with uh, our friend Tony Ruland from the Lonely Forest. He was in town. I miss him. I I missed him too until I saw him today, and um, and it was great to catch up. And he had his little cousin in tow. He has a six year old cousin named Cameron. One of the cutest kids probably ever created. Adorable little guy who was really, really, really kind of a quiet kid, right? He's just, and I, you know, I, 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 I sort of turn it on too much when little kids are around because I think I want to be like the, the guy that like the kids are just like so cracked up by. So I was like, what's up, buddy? How are you doing, man? You having fun here in Port Townsend? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, you see anything cool? You know, I'm like, I'm like trying to really get him like excited about something. And he's just kind of a mellow kid. And so then we go down and we're sitting, we're having lunch and he's, I just keep, I keep saying to him like, are you okay, Cameron? Do you need something? Cause Tony and I are like talking just about life and he's just sitting there. He's, you know, he's also not hungry. I was like, do you want something? Do you want some egg rolls? What do you, and he's like, no, I'm fine. He's just sitting there. He's having an orange soda and just sitting there completely fine. But then at some point, April 1st comes up and he lights up like a fucking Christmas tree. And he goes, I put a balloon on my dad's exhaust pipe today and then it exploded. And and Tony goes, he loves April Fool's. And so he had gotten up this morning, this little kid, and he had like put this balloon on the tailpipe of his dad's car. So that when his dad started his car in the morning, it would inflate the balloon and it would explode. And he had like hit out and watched it happen. And it delighted him. And it was like, you could just see this light go on for this kid. And I actually had the thought like, well, if that's what it's about, cool. You know what I mean? Like, good. So I think you and I were kind of having the same experience today in sort of different ways. I think, though, that the important thing is here's here's what I need a judgment on. And I'm not going to use her name. I've never mentioned her on the show before. Nobody would really know who she is. I don't even I don't think that you've ever worked with her or anything. But um, I have a colleague who's a producer here who um, I told the soap story to. And I think probably not unlike a lot of listeners just had this experience, too. She knew. And did you be honest with me? Did you know where did you know about the nail polish thing? No, I'd never like early heard on that. in that story. No. OK, yeah, because some I of mean, my I, colleagues, I, I had a, I had a hunch that you were being pranked on, but I didn't know anything about mm-hmm. nail polish as a way to do this. Yeah, and I was telling that story to to my to my buddy today, and she was kind of like, um, oh, she knew early on. She's like, oh, nail polish. And I was like. Let me finish my story. No, um, anyway, so uh, and, and so you know, I guess it's kind of a well-known prank, or at least this time around, maybe it's gotten some internet buzz, which would make me think that maybe that's why Gen- Genevieve probably saw it and thought, "Oh, that's a, you know, it's a relatively easy one. It's not mean-spirited, like whatever to do it." But you know, and so I was telling uh, my buddy this, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I did a really good one uh, a couple of years ago where um, me and my roommate had uh, two parking spots, but it was one of those things where you know, whoever, you know, they're two cars parked in the same spot somebody sometimes has to like um you know go in and move their car out so that the car in front can get out as well yeah and um and so they're constantly when you're in a situation like that you're constantly just like leaving your keys somewhere so the other person can move your car if need be blah blah and she's like one day i um you know on april fool's day i got out and i moved his car and i just moved it around the block or somewhere and he came in all freaked out and he was just like where's my car where's my car and um, and I told him, I, I don't know, I haven't seen it. And I just kind of let him sweat until he like basically picked up the phone to call the cops. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm just kidding. I moved around the, in the block. Now, a couple of things. First of all, this seems so unlike the person telling me the story. Like she I, I was shocked that this does not match what I think of her as her personality. She's not like some person who's like loves ball busting or right. something like that. Right. Um, and 
And I was just like, that's so mean. Like the yeah. soap thing, it was just like befuddling. It was in the morning. It's like, I'm groggy. No harm, no foul. Maybe I didn't get quite as zestfully clean as I would have liked. But trust me, <laughs> I shower do, a lot. Like, you it's can't, fine. You yeah. can't wash your soul. <laughs> I can't out damn stain. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I mean, I thought that that was mean, especially kind of coming from her. And I was like, don't you think that's mean? She's like, he was just so relieved that his car wasn't actually stolen, that it was fine. What do you think? of that I, agree I would with you. I don't I'm not down with it no I agree with you I think that that's you know I, I talk all the time about that website that and you mentioned already in the show that I hate that's a local website uh, here in the Northwest where they just make up stories that are just just untrue they're not satirical they don't make a larger point they're not funny they're just this certain bridge collapse and then everyone's reposting it on Facebook because they're not detail oriented enough to find out that it's not a real thing and that's you know they they think that they're, they're the onion and i would say that like just just fucking with people like on a major level i guess maybe it has to do with the the amount of uh hassle created like for you it's like you were just kind of uh, scrubbing yourself and for some reason the story you tell is funny to me of you in the shower with the soap and the story of this guy going out and being like oh my god my car got stolen is not funny it just it's like maybe it's because it's too big. Maybe the stakes are too high if his car really was stolen. Maybe it's because there's not like a there's nothing clever about it. It's just like, oh, I just stole your car. I just moved your car. Like now, for instance, if they if she took his car and then she moved it across the parking lot, but somehow got everyone else to park it in. So then it was just trapped in a different part of the parking lot. That'd be kind of funny. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's, I, I don't know that I'm not saying that's the world's greatest prank, but it's missing a certain I don't know. It's missing a certain little kind of like a little twist, a little something that takes it to a different place than just, oh, hey, I fucked with you. Right. Yeah. And for a second, you thought that your um, you thought your world was collapsing around you. You know, I think that's what it is for me. And I, by the way, I don't buy that argument either that like, oh, well, then he's just so relieved. Yeah, of course he was like relieved that he got his car back. But that's like going up to someone and being like, I have cancer. I'm, I have a month to live. And then they're like, mm-hmm. what? And you're just like, April Fool's. And then you're going, right. that's mean. No, but think how relieved they were when they found out I wasn't dying. Like, right, that right. Doesn't, that's, that's not part of the converse or not part of the equation, just how relieved they were. So I'm with you. Which like, is why I think that you're, you're, the title for today's show should be Luke Dies. <laughs> that would lead to way too much celebrating. It would look <laughs> like, um, you know, like a, 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 an Afghan wedding. There would just be people firing machine guns into the air. It would be way, way too... And then eventually the bolts would come back down and kill people, which is a sad, you know... Yeah, because... Byproduct of that. This is a side of Genevieve I can really get down with. Uh, She... I I like... um, I like I like no bullshit women. I think we've established that, but I also I also like them when their the, their hearts are a little dark, <laughs> just the tiniest bit dark. And this is kind of a dark little thing to do to a lamb like Andrew. Oh, it's so funny, and it is. I love the the um the point about it's being so sweet that someone's even thinking about you that much. Mm-hmm. I think it's so. <laughs> That's the way I to bright to, side it. <laughs> I know. Well, and I I have to acknowledge that you know it really would not have ever occurred to me to play a prank on my husband ever and Uh so i kind of appreciate that perspective because it's like oh man what did get him really good you know without being too mean and you know like it's very it is sweet there's something funny about it 
um, the perfect Andrew prank too, because as yeah. he says, he showers two to three times a day. Right. Yeah. So messing with his shower is kind of a sweet, innocent way to kind yeah. of stick it to him a little bit. It's why he was asked to leave California, right. I believe. <laughs> Their water shortage. It's so cute. And just that she knows how he'd be so flummoxed by it, but wouldn't really, you know, feel like he could do anything about it and that he would bring it up later you know mm -hmm. it's like she she knew she knows him so well that she knew how it would play out which is just awesome i like the idea that she's been plotting this for 13 years <laughs> <laughs> yes you brought up a, a point um they're not married but but longtime couples i think this is a thing and I, I thought he made a good point when something just slightly wrong happens yeah, you, you you don't blame yourself, right? You know, even though you're probably just as likely to have done whatever it was. You, there's something in your every time. There's something in the wrong place. Anytime something is nicked or broken. Anytime your soap doesn't lather, you think, <laughs> "What did you do?" Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I think that's a good part of marriage. At least you have somebody in the house you can, you know. Somebody to blame. Oh, right. yeah. Somebody to blame if well, something goes wrong. And and the fact that that you can play a prank like this shows the relationship is in a good place because, mm. I mean, there are people who are in a bad enough place where if someone was to play a prank like this, like it would it would be the, the trip to divorce court. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. walk right out the door. Like, yeah. really? Really, yeah. bitch? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I know people who've gotten divorced, you know, ostensibly for less. Um, it was, you know, it was clearly the straw that broke the camel's back type of things. But but seriously, I, I know a couple where it's like upon reflection, they realized, okay, what they even had to talk about it and it was over a pair of misplaced sunglasses so wow. so but it's like you know there had clearly been other issues for a long right. time but they that 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 type of being in that type of space is an example of okay the soap prank would not be funny but you know when everything's cool the soap prank is good <laughs> you know well if you were in the bad in a bad place in your marriage or relationship and and played the soap prank i don't think you'd allow i don't think you'd let on that you did it at least oh, i wouldn't heck no yeah <laughs> and you wouldn't even really probably be moved to play said prank <laughs> right right you're so over the person what are yeah. you gonna sit there for three hours with some nail polish that's no, so that's, that's so sad happen. so do you guys do pranks for man April last Fools? prank i did was in college i haven't done a prank what did you do do you remember oh oh yeah i do <laughs> this was so at, at columbia university columbia had only gone co-ed about a decade before I got there, I think, five to 10 years before I got there. And so a lot of the dorms were still um, still built to be men's dorms. And so the communal bathrooms were co-ed. And, um, and so there, it's a little bit of a culture shift. I was a sophomore in college and you kind of get used to, you just share the communal bathroom with guys and, you know, they had a whole spiel they would run down about, um, you know, showers because it was the shower room too. And so, you know, they, they basically ran it down and, you know, so people, if people had to um, spend a little time going potty, they would sometimes tend to announce it, especially if they were guys, like if they didn't <laughs> want, you know, people Don't to go in. in. Here for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so um, this one guy, um, he had a habit of kind of making a bit out of it and um, he would bring a giant book 
and we'd say, yep, going to spend a little time in the bathroom, <sighs> you know, and we would just, after a while, by the time April rolls around, you're like rolling your eyes. So sometime in March or maybe February, I started hatching a plan with my friend. And, um, so when he, he happened to do it on April 1st, he, he walked in, um, you know, we walked down the hall and he had to pass our rooms to get to the bathroom. He walked down the hall and was like, yep, time to use the old pot or whatever. And so he would, um, he went into the bathroom and we tiptoed and snuck around the other side. We had two open cans of Progresso ready and we, <gasps> we dumped them into the toilet next oh. to him. <laughs> Oh. And we started going, oh, dude. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't tell what orifice it was coming out of, oh, you know? No. And, and, um, I mean, it was disgusting. And he ran out of there. And then, of course, we couldn't resist. Like, we had to run out following him and, like, just cracking ourselves up. And he was like, I thought someone was having a really bad trip. <laughs> so so it was – it's like it, – that was the thing about the – like, to us, it was so hysterical. Right. And it was it was great that he was confused. But we didn't get the, like – Oh, you guys sure got me kind of moment that you hope yeah. for. And mm -hmm. nobody else even knew what was going on. So it was it was like many pranks, just a little bit anticlimactic. But it was funny while we were doing it. <laughs> when I was in prison, I was not I've never been a prankster and, and I didn't do pranks in jail either. But when I was in prison, I witnessed um some escalating prank. That's the problem sometimes oh. if you're especially when you get, you know, guys going on this stuff. Right. Escalate. Yes. And one escalation I witnessed, these, these guys, you know, we had, we would get fresh jalapenos out of the, we'd smuggle them out of the chow hall so we could cook back at the unit. And so there, there's fresh jalapenos available and they started like rubbing like fresh jalapenos on surfaces. Oh. Like, um, I think one of them was like on the, th these guys, Skip was the guy uh, and Vern was the other guy yeah. and they, they were having a prank war. So Skip had put... Uh, jalapeno on the lip of Vern's coffee cup and yeah. burned his lips. Oh, so what Vern decided to do, he got up in, in Skip's cell one day and took a pair of his boxers out from the stack in his locker and rubbed the fresh jalapenos all over the crotch. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, the boxers. Oh, and then he put it back like second in the stack or whatever. Oh. So uh, the next day, you know, Skipper takes a shower that night, and then the next day, we know the we know the 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 boxers are coming. And every, we're all out on the tier. Everybody's yeah. out. The yeah. word is out. Yeah. Uh, we're all leaning on the tier, and Skip, you know, we've just played softball or basketball or something, and he's going to go take a shower. And none of the rest of us who I was playing ball with him, but I I wasn't going to take my shower. You know, there were plenty of showers available. I wasn't going to take because I want to see the show. Yeah. So. So he's the only one that gets in the shower. <laughs> he, he he takes a shower. He starts walking back down the tier. He goes in his cell and about couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 seconds later, comes <laughs> zooming out onto the tier. And says, My nuts are on fire. We got to go to the hospital. <laughs> and he, he runs down to the to the cop's office and, and he's screaming at the cop, telling him he's got to you know, take him to the hospital. And uh, and Vern and Vern yells, "You got jalapenos on your sack, you idiot!" <laughs> <laughs> so he runs back to the shower, 
and he's in there for a long time just screaming oh, oh no so oh, after that I, like Vern was smart he this was like the middle of fantasy football season and he was the one holding all of our stamps oh. uh it, it, he must have known that it, it, Skip was going to come back at him with a vengeance. Sure. So he checked in. He went to another prison. Ah. Took, took our money. It was like probably a hundred some bucks. Oh, wow. Stamps. And got away before. Because, I mean, I would have helped oh. Skip plot the revenge. I would have helped him with that. Sure. But, wow. Was, you Skip, Skip wasn't a thinker, you know. See, he would have needed some help. See, Vern already knew the lesson that I had to learn from the Howard Stern show, which is, I mean, with my prank, I had no power out. You have to, <laughs> you have to think beyond the prank moment to realize how you're actually going to win. Like what's your end game. Yeah. And his yeah. end game was getting to scream. You got jalapenos. on your, <laughs> What was it? You got jalapenos on your parts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and then um and then make off with the stamps to another prison like that's a yeah. that's a classic like Bugs Bunny esque like you know see ya whereas I just had the yeah. running out in the hall like ha ha like that mm -hmm. you know there was no crowd standing around watching it like there was you know so v Vern knew what time it was yeah. with the pranks yeah yeah it's interesting you mentioned Bugs Bunny I, I think when we <laughs> look back at Bugs Bunny now as adults we go wow what an asshole right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he was, you know, the classic trickster figure where he had the end game sewn up. That's right. You know, whereas, you knew he was going to yeah. win all the way down the line, which Vern, Vern did, I guess. Yep. But uh, yep. I hope Vern never runs into any of the guys in the fantasy football league no. out on the streets. <laughs> no. <laughs> you took my stamps, MFR. They were, yeah. they were upset. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only time I ever uh, remember doing a real prank, and it was – I sort of got talked into it. The The podcast they used to do, the Takedown Podcast, it was me and this guy named Matt, and we would often have a, a guy contributor, um, Josh. And Josh liked to come on and like do characters, do improv and stuff like that. And one of the things that Josh also liked to do, because I basically produced the show, um, he liked to try to throw me off my game. Like ah. if I was reading something, he would just keep interrupting. If I was saying something from memory, he would keep <laughs> making noises, you know, and it didn't really irritate me. It was funny, but I, I played like it was irritating me. And we yeah. got to a, a point where I think Josh suggested, suggested, well, why don't we, uh, why don't you like get really mad and storm off the show? Uh -huh. and, uh -huh. <laughs> and, so we decided, okay, we're going to do it. And we did it. And it was basically community level acting, <laughs> like, you know, uh, and Matt was really terrible because he was always high when we were doing the show. And so he would laugh oh, no. inappropriately, like laugh at times. You wouldn't laugh if your friends were actually fighting. Right. You yeah. know, right. so there were indications, <laughs> but not everyone picked up on it. Uh, we had probably 200, 250 people who regularly listened to the show and mm. it was probably about 60% women for some reason, even though the huh. content was usually really rough. Yeah. Uh, it caused an uproar. <laughs> um, and the women were particularly upset. Oh, no. By it. And they thought, oh, is this the end of the show? And, and is oh. Mike coming back? Is Josh going to replace Mike? And all this speculation. We're like, really? Ladies you guys, love Mike. You bought oh. this? Oh. Yeah, ladies of a certain age. Yeah, I, I, I mm -hmm. admit, yeah, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, it. 
I would say it wasn't a big success in that it made a lot of people angry. You know, I mean, yeah. we came we came clean on it after a couple of weeks, and but <laughs> there were some people that just never came back. And, oh no! And, wow. and that's crazy. I would say probably ten percent of the people, ten ten percent of the listeners enjoyed it, but they were the ones who probably knew immediately. Uh-huh. You know, right. yeah. that it was BS. Right. Because nobody likes to be fooled. Right. You know, and no, and, and especially this is, this is the sexist thing that, that Luke brought up too, especially women. It's, it's um, like you make a fool out of a guy, then he might, you know, it might turn into a prank war or it's like, ah, you got me. That's a good one or whatever. But you make mm-hmm. fun of a woman and it's, it does it seems like it's just mean because they, they don't want to strike back. So mm. what have you done? You've just been a dick. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about I think it depends on the woman, but I can yeah, see that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it can depend on the, the prank and how severe mm-hmm. it is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And this was, this one was just an emotional yeah. thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. It was just, a, oh, you like this show? Guess what? We're going to rip it away from you for a couple of weeks. And it probably, right. it never feels good to be like, oh, I didn't get the joke. Right. right. And you're like, oh, good wah. point. Yeah. Well, I have to say, if you like pranks, something I can uh, promote um, is Terrorizing Telemarketers 2 by Jim Florentine. And um, it's amazing because a lot of what his pranks are, are um, in calls from, you know, telemarketers. And mm-hmm. and he pranks them. And a lot of the things that they're trying to sell are things that were um, – emblematic of the recession <laughs> so mm-hmm. i highly recommend it um and it's it to me it it hits the highbrow and the lowbrow because he's telling some of this these people what dirtbags they are and there are things that ended up being problems later in our fiscal situation and he recorded them you know like while the recession was developing so i love it Tele- terrorizing telemarketers too by jim florentine <laughs> phyllis uh, you get Calls from the UW Alumni Association asking for money? <laughs> I sometimes do, yes. Okay. I had just gotten out of prison. I'm still on probation. I'm paying back the government. <laughs> yes. uh, I got no money. I am I am like <laughs> I'm I'm calling companies, I'm calling the top ramen company and telling them my package was compromised, so they'll send me a case. Yeah. You know. I mean broke ass. And I'm getting these calls every night because I still have a landline. So it's like <laughs> 99 sure somewhere around there yeah so uh luckily my ex-wife had sent me some stuff in in the mail some some fun stuff i don't know she was just trying to be nice to me and one of the things was a mr t in your pocket oh and it, yeah it had like four things that mr t would say <laughs> yeah you know like, yeah. shut up fool <laughs> yeah exactly. or uh, gosh <laughs> there, there were just four things that it would say right so one one night they call and I just decide I'm going to have a little fun with them. Yeah. <laughs> and the the girl comes on and she's asking me for money and I just keep playing these different things. And at first she thinks it's someone actually talking and then she figures it out and she starts laughing. Yeah. So great. I hang up. Yeah. Five minutes later, I get another call and it's a guy. Uh-huh. Same place. Yeah. It's a guy. Yeah. And he starts laughing immediately. He starts doing his pitch and then I start doing the thing and he's laughing. Oh, that's and great. then I hang up and five minutes later, the manager's on the oh, line no. and she's la- I get her going. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, you were their little break. 
Yeah. I couldn't give money, but I could give them a smile. Oh, yeah. That's so that's so awesome. Because I mean, if you've ever heard Jonathan Goldstein's thing on This American Life about being a telemarketer, and I know Andrew's talked about it, too, like, um, a lot of times they're in these farms where they don't get a break. And their only way of having a break is if an answering machine comes on, and they can Mm -hmm. just sit there and not say anything. (laughs) So you were their little fun times. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, it was a very crude version of, I mean, if you, with the technology that's available today and the sound boards and everything, answering your phone through your computer, I mean, you could really, really go to town on that. (laughs) That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Phyllis, have you ever um, done any fake news stories or run any fake news stories? I'm trying to think if I've ever been, been a part fooled of those. by any fake news oh, stories. Oh, I don't think so. I, I mean, because as a as a savvy news consumer, like especially when April first comes around, you start looking for them. You know, <laughs> and you get excited when you find one. And I don't think I'd have to think about it, but I don't think I've been fooled by a fake news story. And I, I don't think I've ever been part of any fake news stories but i i like them i mean they're cute at this point i know that they can be i think the guys are yeah. kind of irritated by them at this point but i i, I still <laughs> right. think they're cute <laughs> right the, i was listening uh the other day they were talking about an uh one that they did noah adams and somebody uh it was about exploding maple trees <laughs> like if you don't tap the maple trees oh, eventually it will explode <laughs> and, and it actually i would have kind of bought it a little bit if uh, they had just tempered uh, the the payoff because yeah. they were using like a uh, cartoon explosion sound. Oh, sure. You know, they weren't using like a, <laughs> you know, which yeah. you would exp- They had the Hanna-Barbera five disc <laughs> CD set. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was like, God, you guys blew it. Like, yeah. You blew it with one little detail, but well, that's all know, it takes. They have to do things like that to make it more Indicate. obvious to the people yeah. who have bought it. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's the fun thing to me about the NPR ones is that no matter how long they are, they're structured in such a way that about three quarters of the way through, you're like, oh, I get it. If you haven't gotten it to that point. So they have mm-hmm. to use the ridiculous, mm-hmm. like, you know, mouth sound effects where they're like, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. They have to do You're right. Yeah. They have to do that. Mm-hmm. Even though it, if I were making that story, it would be so tempting to, to try to pull it off. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, then, then people would be, yeah, super angry. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Meredith, you and Duff ever play pranks? I haven't played any pranks in quite a while, but when I was a kid, I went through a phase where I was really into like magic tricks and juggling and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I had a few prank books and my favorite one that I did over and over and over and it worked every single time is we had one of those like um, hose sprayers on our sink that pulls out (laughs) and (laughs) I would tie a rubber band around it. Uh, So when you turned on the water, it would just spray you right in the gut. And I got my stepdad with that so many times, and it just killed me every time. That was oh, my favorite thing to do. That's great. <laughs> that's, that's pretty. I like whoopee cushions and you know can of worms and all right. Oh, stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> it seemed like you could really get duff if you wanted to, because it, it seemed like you take care of all the little details and. You could kind of I make do. you could kind of make his life miserable for well, an afternoon. He's got, if you want. he's got coworkers who do this to him all day long. So oh. it's a you know it's this kind of group of guys. And uh, what, my husband just recently moved to an office with a window, and they took a laser pointer from another area, like from the parking garage, and trained it in his office. 
in front of him. So it mm-hmm. looked like he was going to be assassinated. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was driving him crazy because it would like come and go and he would like shut the blinds and be oh. like, hmm. and then it would come back the next day for a little while. And then <laughs> stay. So and your, then, del- your delight tells me that you might someday. I, I like these things. I, yeah. I could be an accomplice. Um, one of his friends showed up to our house one time dressed as a huge penguin <laughs> for unknown reasons. This isn't so much of a prank as a, and it was scary. Like people don't usually come to our door unannounced, but then here comes this enormous man-sized penguin lumbering up to our door and the dog is going crazy. And I was like, oh. um. <laughs> but of course it's the same friend from work who's trying to assassinate him. Right. I don't think Abby would ever stop barking at a yeah. <laughs> six foot penguin. Right. <laughs> They've put NRA stickers on his car. Um, <laughs> one of them went to a Trump rally as a joke and put the Make America Great Again uh, hat in his office, like uh-huh. by his yeah. awards and stuff. <laughs> well, speaking of accomplices, uh, I, you know, the cat rolling was never my prank, but. Uh, I was the one who recruited Veeves into um, the car bomb <gasps> cat roll. Oh. So, and, and one of the reasons I knew she'd be down is because I knew this story. Yep. I knew that she was mm-hmm. down to, to prank Andrew. And mm-hmm. she got in his car, put it in, cranked up the volume. And when he got in his car at 530 in the morning, he got cat roll. Oh, oh man. That was beautiful. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, – but, but Bobby's the main engine behind all of that. I was oh, just yeah. happy to be able to help out with that. How could I refuse that request? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. uh, Phyllis, while we have you. Yeah. Um, you had a, we've never talked about it on this show. They talked about it in passing on TBTL uh, when John Moe was on. You were an intern at KUOW um, back in the day, but it was only after you'd already had a career before that and decided to switch and get into radio what was your career and how long did you do it i was a software engineer for five and a half years during the dot-com boom and the beginning of the bust in seattle yeah and you've always been a big like radio fan and wanted to get into it what did why didn't you major in journalism at columbia or Columbia's gra- uh, journalism program is only a graduate program. Okay. And um, it's very – Columbia is very, as you might guess, from uh, being one of those old schools, it's it's very old school, literally, and mm-hmm. it's very your liberal arts or your engineering. And they really um, – like, you know, most of my friends went into um, medicine, law, Wall Street, or academia. And um, – other careers aren't really um, encouraged through the the setup of the school or even mm-hmm. like their career services were real whack when I was there. And it's like those are the four things that exist or you're a loser. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and um, so, I mean, when I look back, I could kick myself because I skipped class all the time to listen to the radio, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. <laughs> but I never – like they didn't have – a lot of schools would have like a very practical internship type of thing where you could do an internship as a, at a radio station. Columbia didn't have that then. They might now. But back then, for credit, the internships you could get were things like – like my internship was um, was in the schizophrenia research unit at, at uh, 
Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. That sounds just as fun as a radio station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was great, but the skills that I was developing there, like there was no real academic credit for them. Like they were recognized by the faculty, but, um, and it won't surprise you that the thing I was really good at was taking patient histories, but Mm -hmm. to officially take a patient history, you had to have an MD. So Mm -hmm. I was good at writing the ones that they would crib from, (laughs) but I, you know, I couldn't officially do it. And so, um... So, uh, you know, I just, I, I had this bifurcation in my kind of emotional life or my life period, the way I saw it, where I loved radio, but I never saw it as a thing I could do. So now when I talk to college kids, I, I I don't, I don't think it's as much of a problem at the kind of colleges I talk to, but I really encourage them, you know, the things you like, try to do those things. You know, Mm -hmm. just start doing them like this is a really good time to do them and look for ways you can get academic credit to do those things, you know, but don't don't be afraid of the things that you like and think that they're only things for other people to do. They're things for you to do, too. So um, I I wish that I had realized that when I was 18 or 19. Um, But yeah, I used to I used to skip class to listen and I would listen to anything. I mean, I grew up listening to KUOW, but I would skip class to listen to. I mean, it started with Howard Stern, and mm-hmm. then um, at night on the weekends, I didn't have to skip class, but I would listen to 98.7 Kiss, which is the big legendary hip-hop station in New York. And then, I mean, I would listen to anybody. I listened to Rush Limbaugh. I listened to um, Ed Koch. He had a show for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would listen to G. Gordon Liddy. Um, I would listen to anyone, and usually it was a you know uh, verbose um, somewhat rabid white guy, um, but occasionally gal. <laughs> um, and, and I, I loved it, and, but I thought I was just going crazy, <laughs> but really I would be putting in my, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I moved back here and I didn't, um, I didn't even have a TV. <laughs> and so I was listening to KUOW all the time. Howard Stern didn't come on in Seattle until I think 1999. And so I was, um, constantly listening to KUOW. I didn't have a car either. I don't even have a car. And so I would, um, I had a, one of those really dorky, like headsets you could get that has an antenna on it. Right. Right. <laughs> the old listen- guys with the metal detectors. <laughs> yes. I would listen to KUOW on that on the bus and, um, you know, flip it on as soon as I got home. And, um, and I even had shows that to me were appointment radio. And um, if it was, I think, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, I had to race home to listen to the plays The Thing because they were they were playing um, the Brothers Karamazov as a radio play, serialized, mm. um, starring Harry Hammond. God, I, it was, I it was used amazing. to love anything like that. Anytime they, they could serialize. Oh, my God. Oh, so my great. God. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, another example of that that Luke talks about is the radio reader with Dick Estelle. Like, right. I, I was one of those people who if I have caught if I had caught the screw up when he played them in the wrong order, like, I would have written called. into Ross yeah. Reynolds and been like, what's up with this? So I just I loved KUOW. I started donating um i was gonna since i was a a baller in software um and i had you know this cheap apartment and no debt like i was gonna give to their capital campaign and get my name on a plaque but back then seattle was so flush with cash that the capital campaign ended in three days and i had been planning to give on day four because i wanted to give during this american life like i was a i was I was down. <laughs> I was down for KUOW. And so I worked in software um, until they started outsourcing 
our engineering to India in 2002. And um, I had survived many layoff rounds, but I was caught in that layoff. And um, I had a, a nice long severance where I got to think about what I really wanted to do. And every time I thought about going back into software, like it literally made me sick. Like I had mm -hmm. interviews, I think, for two jobs at Amazon. And I would get just really like that pit in my stomach feeling like, oh, God, is this my life? Like I would kind of look back on college and and look back on, you know, what had been of my 20s so far and been like, is this really what I'm supposed to do? And, you know, like I was saying, I went to school with all these fancy types and they were, um, you know, most of them were doing kind of fancy things. And I just felt like a loser. And I felt like I didn't know what I was going to do. And that bothered me. And um, I had this epiphany moment one day when I was swimming in the swimming pool at, at Queen Anne, um, on top of Queen Anne Hill in Seattle. And I had this moment where I was like, I wish I could listen to KUOW right now because it's three o'clock and the world is on. And I love that show. I'm going to miss the geography quiz. And I love that. And, and I wish there was some radio I could listen to while I was swimming. <laughs> I just was like, and I got out of the pool and I realized, okay, I was like, okay, that was an insane thought. Like there's one hour of the day where you can't listen to KUOW. Like, why are you focused on that? And then I just, I was walking to the bus stop and I had that, oh my God moment where I was like, if I'm so obsessed with that radio station, I should try to work there instead of doing software. Mm -hmm. And that literally set me off on everything that led to this moment where I'm talking to you right now. Okay. So what year was that when you... 2002. 2002. So the, the story that we're going to play is from 2004, but it seems like it probably took you a long time to put together. You traveled mm -hmm. to six, seven cities gosh something like to that do this story? It, it was a lot because i had to locate in some cases and interview um members of my family um most of whom i had met but some of whom i hadn't uh who were in one way or another related to all the cities where my dad had children so the piece we're going to play is something that um that phyllis did about her dad and when when did it air and on what? It aired, so I, I created the demo for it in 2000, in October 2002. I got the grant to produce it in um, January, February 2003, and I completed it in November 2003, and then it was featured on Transom.org in, I think, January 2004. But um, KUOW aired it somewhere in the November to January range. Well, after y'all hear it, you're going to wonder why it doesn't it, it's not played all the time because it's a it's a pretty timeless piece and it's it's full of dazzling details and the, all the hard work shows. So let's just play it right now. It's it's about uh, twenty five minutes long or so, and uh, it's going to fly by and you're going to be glued to the spot. So get to a good spot. Here we go. Sweet Phil from Sugar Hill. My dad had some strange ideas about how to support a family. He brought this dog home. And he said, well, I'm going to train this dog to, to snatch purses. I was just, I was totally appalled. I mean, you're going to get a dog and you're going to train it to steal purses? Because evidently he had met somebody who had a dog that would do that. Well, I mean, you could do it, but it would be so wrong. My dad gave me a pretty normal childhood, though. 
By the time I was one, he wasn't living with us anymore. When I was five, he stopped visiting. It was just me and my mom. I was an only child. At least, that's what I thought. Until I was six when my mom told me I had a new baby brother. I remember you were really happy. And you wanted to talk about it at, uh, at school. And I thought, well, you know, I couldn't figure out how to tell you how to phrase it. Your dad and I hadn't had a baby, but your dad had had a baby. I wasn't my dad's first child, and my baby brother wouldn't be his last. According to my dad, he had 14 children with 13 different women around the country. By the time I was off to college, my dad was off to the joint. I was ready to write him off, but I was close to my dad's family, and they thought I should get to know him. A letter to my little girl. So I wrote to him, and he wrote back. I didn't know what to say at first. Well, Phyllis, just how in the hell are you doing? Fine, I hope. As far as me, I'm just doing this times as it comes. But he was trying to understand my world. Oh, yes. Didn't you tell me that you had a roommate? Well, if you do, tell her that your papa said hi. You can tell her where I'm at if you want to. It don't bother me. Hell, I ain't the only one in here. So I tried to understand his. I mean, some of these goos get so big, they can't even wipe their own butt. And a lot of them walk around with that bully-type attitude, and someone way smaller than them ends up kicking them right in their ass. I started to learn about him. I really like to read books now that I can read. The kind of books that I like to read most are about black people and the things that they used to do that the white man didn't keep track of for our people. I also like to read books that show you how to build things out of wood. He was vain. I'm still looking good as hell. I'll tell you that. Your papa is looking good. He was frustrated. I'm just locked up in a room like a fool. He bragged about himself. Yes, my little girl, your papa can cook his ass off. I mean that I can boil water and make it taste good. I'll put some of my barbecue sauce in your nose and you'll eat your boogers. He asked for my advice. Hey, love, dig this. There's one thing that I want to learn how to do more than anything in the world, and that is learn how to spell. If I could spell, I would be a motherfucker. Can you tell your papa a good way to learn how to spell? Did I mention he was vain and bragged about himself? I like the cold weather. I like to dress for the cold. I mean, I be dressing too. I like the fact that I be really sharp when I come out of my top coat. You know what I mean? When I come out of that coat, the people be saying, that nigga show is clean. That's what I'm talking about. He'd freak out on me if I didn't write back fast enough. Sometimes I wonder if you're loose in the head, half-retarded, emotionally slow, don't give a f***, or just plain lazy. But in his own way, he always tried to make it up to me. You are one fine motherfucker. I mean, you look good. Yes, you do. You look like you sweat honey and your dookie don't stink. Eventually, he had me hooked. When I'd see one of his letters in my mailbox, I'd open it on the spot. I'd write back as fast as I could so I'd get another one. I'm almost out of here. Yep, just like the monkey said when he got his tail cut off. Won't be long now. Just when I was getting to like our routine, my dad's sentence was up and the letters stopped. He would call from time to time, but we would never talk for long. Many times he had fantasized about the day we'd finally meet again. I'm hoping that one day in the near future that you and I will be able to walk down the street or go to the park or something and just tell you everything about my life that I can think of. He wanted me to visit, but I was scared. What if he got angry and cursed me out in person? Or worse, 
I decided to keep our relationship long distance for the time being. The phone calls slowed, then stopped. One day, I got a phone call from my cousin. My dad was dead. You never can tell. You just might die tomorrow or even in the next few minutes. Who knows? I went to the funeral in a daze. It was my first open casket. I looked long and hard to memorize his face, but the details burned into my memory are the wrong ones. The orange pancake makeup, the stitches on his lips and eyelids. Only one of my dad's other kids was at the funeral, my oldest brother Eric. He had just been getting to know our dad. I had just hung out with him like two days before he died. We talked about old times, we hung out, talked BS to each other. Him and I would just hang out like old lost buddies. And uh, definitely, uh, I did love him. I did develop a love for him after just a couple weeks of hanging out with him. I felt bad for not taking a chance on our dad like Eric had. All I had to remember him was a stack of letters. But it was more than some of his kids had, and some of them are okay with that. My older brother Kareem didn't know our dad and doesn't regret it. I think the impact he had on my life was enough. He didn't have much to offer me during my formative years, and in adulthood I'm not sure how much more he had to offer. Well, while I'm at it, I might as well tell you a few things about just why things are the way they are as far as me not being around as you and your 13 sisters and brothers were growing up. I guess you could say that this is one of the bad things in my life, not having the bond with my kids that a father should have. It hurts me to have left so many kids out there in this world. But believe me, at the rate that I was going, if somebody were to have to go, it was always best for the kid and the mother that I was the one to go. It's sad, but it's true. He consciously kept the distance from people who were important to him. That's weird, but that's what I think he did. My dad's father. He would never make the plea that he didn't understand right from wrong. He knew what was right, he knew what was wrong. He also knew what he was going to do. And I think... He also knew that he was impulsive and unpredictable. Sometimes the best thing an impulsive and unpredictable dad can do is take off. Philip is definitely that uncle. Everybody's got that uncle. But impulsive and unpredictable can be fun for a kid. My cousin Ohm. He is like the one uncle that stands out, who's probably the troublemaker, but for kids is like the most fun to be around. He was always capping on somebody. He was always making cracks. And you were just glad that you were on his side of it and not on the receiving end of it because it could be kind of harsh sometimes. <laughs> my dad may have been the world's greatest undiscovered insult comic, according to my Uncle Paul. Constantly cracking jokes, constantly cracking on folks, constantly, you know, in people's face, all the way, you know, out there. He was nut. He was a nut, there's no question about it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He really didn't care. So what? So you didn't want to be called cracker, you didn't want to be called uh, ugly, or you didn't want to be called booger nose or whatever, you know. I don't care. Whip your ass up in here. <laughs> but you couldn't help but laugh. My Aunt Sylvia. 
before you know it, you're drawn in. It's not that you want to make fun of somebody, but you're drawn in. That was him. And Maxine, mother of my older brother, Kareem. Well, he was funny. That guy was funny. He was funny. Yes, he was. Happy-go-lucky, not a care in the world. And before I know it, we were going together, and, and it didn't last long because I um, learned to see another side of him. I have good qualities about myself. You were probably two and a half months old, and I was carrying you. And I can also cut the other field loose on a person when I want to. And your dad just kind of lost it. We got into an argument, and that's when the worst part of him came out, and he started to become violent and he was on me like an animal and I'm talking about kicking, stomping he was in a rage and he uh, threatened to kill me and that's the part of Philip that people don't want nothing to do with and then once he beat me that was it and all I could think of is I gotta get away from this guy and I knew I had to do something I thought, I've got to protect this baby. So I just went to my brother. Boy, oh boy, I never witnessed anything like this. I think they had a stick or a bat or something, and they beat him so badly. I mean, blood was splattering on the wall. And so I called my dad, and he came and got me right away. They beat him, and they kicked him out of my house. God knows what happened to him when he was a little kid, to be like that. The rage and the anger, you know, probably uh, from when he was a little boy. He just must have had a very difficult life. We'd all go out and we'd have to take him with us. Take your little brother, Philip, with you. Okay, Philip, come on. You gotta keep up. So we were like, well, Philip, if you want to go with us, you know that uh, you got to be able to take up for yourself because getting a fight, you know, we can't protect you. So we got out there, and uh, sure enough, the white kids came, you know, tried to gang us. And uh, Philip knew he was the smallest, so he picked up a baseball bat, and, you know, this big guy hit him, and so he grabbed that bat and hit that guy upside the head, and and we were like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Mom and Dad were not getting along together, and they were talking about divorce. And uh, him and Mom were arguing every day. Mary was at my throat, I was at her throat. She was making dinner, cut up the potatoes, and they were in the sink. Her and Dad got in an argument over something, and we went out to take a little bike ride or something while they talk. And when we came back, she had left. She said she was going to the store to pick up some groceries and be back to finish cooking dinner. She was going to the store. I asked her if I can go with her, and she said, no, you have company. I said, I don't care, because I always went with her. And she didn't come back. And then later on, the police came knocked on the door. Dad stepped outside, and then we could hear him crying and screaming, oh no. 
And he grabbed us and said, your mother has committed suicide. She's taken her life. She drove over to church, confessed, and then she drove out to the Bay Bridge and jumped off. It was a shock to me, shock to all the kids. It uh, destroyed them. Nothing was ever the same after that. Nothing. When Mama died, you know, we were just lost. And Philip, he never really adjusted after that. Of all the kids, Philip was the, uh, the apple of her eye. So when she suddenly wasn't there any longer, that had a tremendous impact on him. He was, like, devastated. He was in the third grade, I think. The age that he was, he really needed her. And she wasn't there. Philip tried his best to adjust. But, of course, kids were insensitive. And so going back to school was pretty rough. And they would put people down, talk about them. You know, dozens. And, of course, the dozens usually always got around to talking about somebody's mama. After my mother passed away, it was when you were getting the best of them, and they would always revert to saying, well, your mama was crazy and she committed suicide. And you, after that, you just uh, find yourself on top of them, beating them. And pretty much uh, the attitude that we had at that time was, you know, we had lost our mother, so we didn't care about too much else, not even life itself. When I was young, I didn't care about nothing. When I say nothing, I mean nothing. Within a year after she was no longer on the scene, he began to have all kind of discipline problems. He kept running away and getting in trouble. Your father, Philip, dropped out. And I don't think he got past the eighth grade. I took to the streets at a very young age. After that, he just floated around. We seldom heard from him or knew where he was. In the meantime, he was floating all over the place, running back and forth from one coast to the next. Um, but during that period, I don't know what happened to him. Because I was startled when he said he had 14 kids. I said, damn. Despite my dad's troubles, he had a way with women. I thought he was the most beautiful person I had ever seen. You know, he had a lot of rhythm. Very graceful. A lot of rhythm. And he could dance. Boy, I remember going to a dance with him. And he, he was an excellent cook, and he loved to entertain. The people would stop dancing and come and look at him on the floor. Of course, he was a real snappy dresser. He was a very exciting person. He was attractive to the opposite sex. He was that kind of a man. He had the humor, he had the personality, he had the charm, he knew what to say. He was halfway slick, <laughs> you know? I heard also he had a good rap. And he had a lot of quote-unquote game. He could talk uh, S-H blank T. It was hard for a woman not to, not to like him. I guess him. the you fact that I'm here along with uh, many of my other sibs, who, some of who I don't even know, is a testament to the effect that he had on women. But I was kind of a, you know, a desperate woman, I guess, for attention, affection. He was just so full of fun. And I guess I was really deep inside. I was so sad that I was attracted to that fun-loving element. I'll never regret meeting him, that's for sure, because before I knew it, I was pregnant. And Philip was very persistent that he wanted a baby. I gave birth to a beautiful 
baby boy in July of 1971, and I vowed that I would be the best mother that I could possibly be. I knew that we would have a beautiful baby. I don't regret it because I have such a beautiful son out of the whole situation. I have a son I never dreamed I'd be the mother of a doctor. I know that, that I'm so glad that you're my daughter. My dad gave these women children, but what kind of a father was he? Sweet Phil from Sugar Hill. Yeah, Sweet Phil from Sugar Hill, never work and never will. I think there were more lines, but I can't remember. Oh, I've forgotten. Sweet Phil from Sugar Hill, never work, never will. What's the rest of it? Do you know the rest of it? Let's go. Sweet Phil from Sugar Hill, never worked, never will. All I did was rest, dress, read the press, and talk a lot of mess. And talk a lot of mess. Sweet Phil from Sugar Hill. Okay. <laughs> yep. That was it. Except the reading part. Except the dressing part, too. I knew my dad had kids in California near my Aunt Sylvia. I asked her if she could find Philip Jr. and Janae so I could finally meet them. Philip Jr. and Janae are the only two of my dad's kids who have the same mother. They must have gotten more time with our dad than the rest of us had. I wanted them to tell me, what was he like? I don't know. I, just, I remember when I was little, I remember he came over to our house when we lived in the South area, and he had a big old afro. So what do you remember about our dad? Nothing. Really? Nothing. Nothing at all. He was around until you were like five, though, right? Yeah. But I don't really remember. I don't remember nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Tell you the truth, I remember little things. I don't even know who this dude is, just like you don't. And there's times I'll be like, man, why, what did we ever do? You know what I'm saying? Why Why does dude do this to us, you know? Because now I don't really, truly, I don't really feel nothing. I don't even know. There was one more person who might be able to fill in the blanks. My dad married twice, both times with no children. His first marriage was short. His second marriage lasted six years. My name is Juan L. Fletcher. I was his wife. He chased me for seven years. I used to tell him, no, me and you, no, Phil, uh-uh. And then, you know, he had this way of wearing his hair. And I used to say, who wants to go around with a, with a man with their hair all braided up like that, looking wild and crazy, sticking everywhere, you know? And then he got a curl put in. I was shocked, <laughs> you know? I said, well, <laughs> yep, he did everything he could to, to get me, and he finally got me. We seemed to do well together, and we got married. Everything went smooth for a while, and uh, and then he went and did something crazy. He, um, this is the part I really don't like to bring up, but he he took a razor blade and cut my throat. You know, he was facing fifteen years, but from the jailhouse, my dad reconciled with his wife and persuaded her to testify on his behalf. The charge against him was downgraded. He served two and a half years. Amazingly saying, when he got out, things changed. Despite all the social science that would have predicted otherwise, my dad never hurt his wife again. 
I think why he spent the time in the prison gave him a lot of time to think about his life, things he did, and make a change. Juanel says they had a good life at home. My dad was a devoted house husband. He cooked, cleaned, and ironed. He lifted weights. He played conga drums really well. He made congas and sold them, and did other woodwork for cash. He played a lot of bingo. It seemed like a pretty good life. But there was something my dad wasn't telling his wife. At the age of 18, I was already hooked on heroin and was unable to provide for anything that had any value to it. Just my habit, and that's where I went wrong. He know I didn't like it. He know I didn't like it. He used to try to hide it from me, but that's something you can't hide. I could look at him and tell, you know. The way Juan L figured it, my dad's habit wasn't causing her any problems, so she tried to ignore it. I said, "Well, okay, babe, I'm leaving." We kissed each other. He says, "I love you, babe." I said, "I love you too." See you later. Went to work. Got off, come home, open up the door, and I could hear the water running. And it was the hot water. It had ran all day till it ran cold. And when I looked up and saw the light on, and when my eyes came down, I saw him laying down there. This 44-year-old man with a history of intravenous drug abuse was found dead at his home with drug paraphernalia nearby. If you look in a dead person's eyes, there's nothing there, and there was like nothing there. His death is attributed to acute opiate intoxication. Then, when I touched him, he was cold. I knew he was dead. When I called nine one one, that's when I started screaming, 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 screaming. The manner of death is classified as probable accident. Method of disposition: cremation. We had a memorial service for him, and then, and then I had him cremated because that's what he wanted. Like all of my dad's old flames, his widow likes to think about his good qualities. You remember that picture? Oh yeah! Wow. <laughs> And this one here of you is、uh, when you was a little girl. Yeah, I didn't even know he had that. He have it. You'd be surprised. He used to brag on these pictures. That's how he was. Did my dad have a right to brag about his kids? Let's say you go to a sperm bank. A donor profile grabs your eye. The guy is a musician. He's in great shape. His children are intelligent and undeniably attractive. Among them are a physician, an airline captain, a computer scientist, and a reporter. Not bad, but you read the fine print: violent felon, heroin addict, family history of suicide. Would you have children by this man? I mean, you look good. Yes, you do. Now, ain't you glad that I'm your daddy? I should hope you know that more than half of that came from me. You got a lot of good-looking brothers and sisters, also. I ain't made an ugly nigga yet. <laughs> Shakespeare. I didn't know he was a black man. <laughs> I think he was proud of us. Let's ask the doctor, his son Kareem. Given the talents that developed in our dad's kids, who all grew up in poor homes or ghettos, thanks to him. Did our dad have something to brag about based on genetics alone? I marvel at some of the things we've been able to accomplish despite having Phil as a dad, and、um, you know I think some of that was inherited. 
I think the data is there, and as a scientist, I think you cannot rule out that genetic contribution. Absolutely not. He had the genes. He had the genes. Eric's mother Gail agrees, but she reminds us. Evidently, he made it with some pretty good women too, because he didn't do it all. Now, all that ain't him. Also, I do acknowledge the presence of these remarkable women. He was able to bless the world with some remarkable individuals, but uh, it was due in large part to the the mothers of these individuals, or the grandmothers, and the women who were who were involved in their rearing. He wasn't around for the best and the most difficult part, but that's you know that's that's parenting. None of us had Philip as a true parent, but we had our moms, and now we have each other. You don't have to be born and raised together to be a family. You could still be close. You could still have meaningful relationships with good people. It's very exciting to know you have brothers and sisters out there. I thank God that you came and found us because you're the next person that we know. You know what I mean? It's all going to connect one day, one way or another. We're all going to find out who each other are. I have a little sister now, and it feels like a lot to live up to. <laughs> I just have to say for the record that we met like about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so what's it like meeting new siblings? Weird. <laughs> you don't know what to say, how to how to act around a person you never met before, you know? Especially seeing somebody that looks just like you. <laughs> when Janae and I met, my Aunt Sylvia took a Polaroid of us. As the image started to come in, just over my head I could see them forming, two fingers, the universal photographic prank, just like my dad did to my mom in one of the few photos of the three of us. I have another younger sister in Mexico, she just called me for the first time, and she sounds as sweet as she looks in her photo. According to family legend, I have a brother or sister in Shreveport, Louisiana, and in San Francisco, a younger brother born to a Filipina. If my dad was right, there are at least five more of us out there. Can any of you hear this? I must tell you the truth. I would love very much to see all of my kids, do things with them and for them. I figure that one day, if God meant for it to be, that my kids will find me. Well, love, Papa's got to go. Loving you with words, Papa Phil. Sweet Phil from Sugar Hill is dedicated to my mother, Susan Mullen. Yes, you were blessed with one of the best mothers that God ever put on this earth. And to all of our mothers, Gail Green, Maxine Salam, Wanda Walker, Joey Morris, and rest in peace, Irene Perryman. Thanks to my brothers and sisters, Eric Green, Kareem Salam, Shindana Perryman, Jabari Walker, Philip Fletcher Jr., and Janae Fletcher. Thanks also to the Fletcher family, Arthur, Bernice, Sylvia, Paul, Ohm, and Tino. Mary, Phyllis, and Art Jr. rest in peace. Special thanks to Juan L. Fletcher. Performances by Tom Bostelman and Eric Green. Thanks to KUOW Public Radio, Augustine Walker, Consuelo Lucas, Mrs. Beulah Green and the Green family, the Gutman family, Jamala Henderson, Margaret Molden, Julian Tudor, Jim Nisley, and Josh Nisley. Recording and production made possible through the Jack Straw Productions Artist Support Program. Engineered by Scott Bartlett. Music help from Jason Tolley and Josh Nisley. I'm Phyllis Fletcher. Thanks for listening.
Phyllis, in the graphic for um, this piece on Transom, yeah, he's written to you from a prison in California, mm-hmm. and your address is in New York. Is this when you were in college? Yeah, that was sophomore year, and that was actually the very dorm I was talking about earlier that was still built as a men's dorm and had the co-ed bathrooms. Okay. Mean hall. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, was it... When did he start writing you? I mean, tell tell me how you even found out where he was and, and when did he start writing you? Did you know all along from your mom where he was, what he was doing? Because he seemed like a real rolling stone. Yeah, we would we would very rarely hear from him when I was a kid. I mean, when I was real little, he was still in Seattle. So he would come over now and then until I was about five or six. Um, and then um, he called me once in high school. And then when I went to college, um, some of my relatives told me he was in prison and really put pressure on me to write to him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they gave me his address and I wrote to him and I was so resentful of it at the time. But um, once I started getting the letters, um, I was grateful because, I mean, it was it was the only that those letters basically comprise the relationship I had with my dad um, Mm -hmm. because he died so soon. And I'm still to this day, you know, very glad I had them, whether I made what I, whether I ever would have made that program or not, I was really, I'm glad I have those. I'll always have those. And they're, you know, as you can see, they have quite a range. (laughs) And um, I would, I mean, my whole idea for even producing this was based on the fact that I used to read those letters to my friends, like excerpts of them, Mm -hmm. you know, to my friends. And they couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, here I am in this Ivy League school in New York, and most of my friends had never heard of anything like what he was talking about. Um, And um, it was, you know, they they loved them. and, And I would get them out years later and read them to my friends sometimes. And one of my friends said, if those letters were a book, I'd read them. And that is really what, what got me started mm-hmm. on making this project was the fact that he said that. And that's my friend, Mark Maximoff. What's up, Mark? Have to give him a shout out for that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so my family members really leaned on me to write to him. And that's what started the whole correspondence and he usually tried to type but if you you can see what his handwriting looks like on that link and if you click on the letter hopefully it's still working if you click on the envelope or maybe there's a little graphic of the letter still you can click on one of those and you can read a letter he wrote me from the hole Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool we're going to make the picture of the letter the yes the show picture for sure uh we have to get out of here pretty quick today but um, Phyllis, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, where I was and what I was doing when I was listening to that. That's just some of the best radio I've ever heard. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm touched and pleased to hear you say that. Thank you so much. And I'm really glad that you uh, found your passion because you, it's led to you finding your way to us. So. Yeah. You know, I, I'll always be grateful for that, that one moment. I wonder so many times what what I'd be doing now if I hadn't had that realization. And that's why I'm so passionate when I talk to middle schoolers, high schoolers, college kids, um, basically mm-hmm. anyone younger than me, that if you love something, just start doing it. You know, because if I had mm-hmm. never started doing this, I don't know, I might I might be crazier right now or something. So it's so clear. 
wonder in retrospect, looking back at your life and your behaviors and your likes back mm -hmm. then, mm -hmm. like obviously you needed to be in radio. <laughs> and I, I just, I, I, I shudder to think what would have happened if I had never figured that out. So, yeah, yeah um, I love it clearly. <laughs> and here I am. Well, I want to take advantage of that passion, Phyllis. You're, you're a legend in the <laughs> NPR world for your pitches, oh, your, yes. your, <laughs> your fundraising pitches. We're not asking for money right. people yet. Right. Uh, what we are asking and what Christy is asking more than, more than we are is that uh, you help us, archive that that uh, you help us get the TBTL archives together so it'll be a great resource and tool and just a, a legacy for yeah. the the show and its fans and for that we've brought Phyllis Fletcher on to make a little pitch yeah so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna um, just spitball something here and say you know basically we're talking to the core, what we would call in public radio, the core listeners, right? So we're talking to the people like you listening to this are, are a hardcore TBTL fan and even a hardcore LRB fan. And you, we've all had these moments where we talk about when something happened on TBTL and, you know, there's confusion about, you know, when exactly it happened, what exactly it was, little debates about what happened before what. What if you had the opportunity to settle that and, and to not only settle it, but be part of building the system that settles it? And and what if you got to actually apply the TBTL knowledge you have to make something good for other tens? Well, you have that chance and you just haven't taken advantage of it yet. It's called the archiving project. And all you have to do is contact Christy and it will literally take just five hours out of your entire life to do a week. How amazing is that? Well, I think it's time for you to email Christy and sign up. Thank you, Phyllis. <laughs> Very well said. Very public radio. I know, very. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's really how I look at it is I wanted to be part of it because I knew I would use it. That's mm -hmm. the whole thing about public radio is mm -hmm. you're already using it. In this archive, if it were built already, you could already be using that. But it needs to be built. We need to get there. And you're one yeah. of the people who understands how we can get there. It's just by listening to a week of TBTL. That's all it takes. You already do that. <laughs> so. Yeah, and as a 10, you know it's important. You yep. know what people are going to want to search for. You know what to highlight. You know which words you need to put in there so that we can all find, you know, the first instance of that taco drop or That's whatever. Right. <laughs> that's right. Well, so now I, I, I just know. signed up for another week, oh, I should mention. That's awesome. Um, and I'm I I just started listening to to the Monday show and it's the one where Andrew first moves to LA and he's in that weird apartment with that actress. <laughs> That's oh, so it's just such a fun little blast from the past. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. Well, and just imagine if every single person listening right now did what you did and 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 did a week. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, just like one, we'd be done one. by now. Mm -hmm. well, we'd Christy, done. Christy asked me to ask you to make the pitch because things have been slowing down a bit. Oh and come on now. We just want to want to stop that from happening. And I think this has been a real good pitch because uh, just like the regular public radio pitches when I'm not contributing, make, I'm not I'm not archiving. So it kind of made me feel <laughs> shitty about myself. So. Well, now That's I just I goal. need to make you feel good so that you'll actually do it. Yeah. So here's well, the thing, Mike, you can sign up now. Sign up now for your week and you can do it after you move because I know that's the big thing hanging over your head right, right now. That's right. the important thing is to just sign up now and then you can actually complete the archiving whenever it's a good time for you. 
There's also a great support community in the Facebook page. Absolutely. Store Attend Facebook page. So you store go there attends. and get some details yep. too. I might be the only member who hasn't done Jack of that thing. So I will <laughs> sign up. I'm determined. I will sign up now. You've inspired me. Uh, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to littleredbandwagon.com. Uh-huh. Uh, or I can just get in touch on the on the Facebook page. Um, go to the TBTLS Historitans. Request to get in there. Just get in touch with Christy any way you can. Personal mm-hmm. Twitters at Drew McFrizz, at Kissy Eyes, at RL Pape, at Dadstronaut, at Meredith underscore Mayhan, at P-H-Y-L Fletch, F-L-E-T-C-H. Show Twitter is at LRB Podcast. Email us, littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. And here's our voicemail jingle. Give us a voicemail. Yo, this is Wagoneer Lauren. Word on the street is the LRB isn't getting many voicemails. And it's probably because their number doesn't have a catchy jingle. So I wrote a rap about it. Well, my name is Lauren, and I'm here to say the LRB needs your calls in a major way. You've got Meredith and Bobby and Mike Frizzell, and while Christy's on sabbatical, there's Anne as well. They're all patiently waiting for the phone to ring with your episode submissions. It don't cost a thing. Just dial 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-TBTL. 802-432-TBTL. 8285 the last four digits if you dummies can't spell peace all right thanks again phyllis um you're always the best and i'm glad we got a chance to play that piece ever since i heard it i've been trying to think of a way to wedge it in and make it our content because i'm lazy like that (laughs) well i i think it's great i'm happy when anyone plays it so thank you awesome meredith you want to get us out of here until next time this is the next party. Oh, we love you, Jen, and we miss you, Phil. <laughs> Nailed it!